0: This is the Bible in Wenya, day 242. How to have a spiritual facelift. Father Raniero Cantalamessa, a Capuchin monk, preacher to the papal household, aged 81, kindly came and spoke at our leadership conference at the Royal Albert Hall. Many people comment on how his face and eyes shine with the radiance of God's presence He was on a train one time in Italy when a woman, who was a total non-believer, approached him and said, your face compels me to believe. It's been said, we cannot control the beauty of our face, but we can control the expression on it. As this story illustrates, you can tell a lot by looking at people's eyes and faces. We say, you should have seen the look on their face. As the old Latin proverb says, the face is the index of the mind. It's also true that the eyes are the windows of the soul. When we really want someone to listen to us and believe us, we say to that person, look into my eyes. The Bible says a lot about faces and eyes. From Psalm 104 He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the
1: sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor, until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust.
0: When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. God's face There's a spiritual hunger in our hearts which can only be satisfied by God. The Psalms are full of a longing for a relationship with God and a desire to be in God's presence. This is described here using the language of human relationships, looking to God and seeking his face. These all look to you. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you send your spirit, they are created. The psalmist contrasts the satisfaction that comes from looking at God's face with the terror when he hides his face from us. Sin creates a barrier between us and God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they could no longer look God in the eye. They hid from him. They were removed from his presence. God hid his face from them. They were terrified. When we're able to look God in the face, the opposite is the case. All the creatures look expectantly to you to give them their meals on time. You open your hand and they eat from it. This is true not only of physical food but also of the spiritual food which God gives us. Lord, thank you that when I look to you, you open your hand and satisfy me with good things. Forgive my sins, and do not hide your face from me. New Testament from 2 Corinthians 3 Now if the ministry
1: that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit.
0: Our faces. Our faces are supposed to shine more brightly than the face of Moses. Moses' face, as he delivered the tablets, was so bright that day, even though it would fade soon enough, that the people of Israel could no more look right at him than stare at the sun. The ministry of the Old Covenant was itself good. It came engraved in letters of stone, but it also came with glory. Moses had looked into the face of God, and as a result, his face was shining. Moses had to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Although the ministry of the Old Covenant was good, it actually brought death. We are unable of ourselves to keep God's written laws. We sin, and the wages of sin is death. Paul continues to contrast the ministry of the Old Covenant with the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Old Covenant in itself was good. However, the ministry of the Spirit is even more glorious and lasting. The ministry of the Old Covenant involved Moses wearing a veil. A veil stops people seeing. Paul says that even today, people don't really see or understand. Their minds are made dull. Only when they turn to the Lord is the veil taken away. This certainly was my experience. I'd heard the Bible being read and I'd been to talks about the Christian faith, yet I did not understand what people were talking about. It made no sense to me. My spiritual eyes were blind. The moment that I turned to the Lord, it was as if the veil was taken away. I could see and understand. Paul goes on to write something absolutely amazing. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. The whole trinity is involved. The glory of God the Father is seen in the face of Jesus our Lord. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are so closely connected that Paul can write, The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord brings radical freedom to our lives. Freedom from legalism, guilt, shame, condemnation, self-hatred and self-rejection. Freedom from the power of sin, selfishness, manipulation and control. Freedom from the fear of death and the fear of what others think of us. Freedom from comparing ourselves with others. You're free to know, love and serve God. You're free to use your life and energy to love others. You're free to be yourself. You can approach God with boldness. You do not need to veil your face. As you look into the face of Jesus, he changes you into his likeness. The change is gradual, little by little, from one degree of glory to another. When you spend time with another person, you tend to become more like them. People gaze at celebrities and reproduce their mannerisms and their appearance. If you're captivated by Jesus, you will be transformed into his image. You may see a thousand faces a day, images are everywhere, but the Spirit reveals the most important face of all to us. As you spend time in the presence of the Lord, you become more and more like him. You're transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Lord, thank you for this immense privilege that I can approach you with freedom and boldness. Thank you that I can look into your face and reflect your glory in the world. Help me today to fix my eyes on you. Old Testament, from 2 Chronicles 35 and 36.
1: After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah marched out to meet him in battle. But Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What quarrel is there, king of Judah, between you and me? It is not you I am attacking at this time, but the house with which I am at war. God has told me to hurry. So stop opposing God who is with me, or he will destroy you. Josiah, however, would not turn away from him, but disguised himself to engage him in battle. He would not listen to what Nico had said at God's command, but went to fight him on the plain of Megiddo. Archers shot King Josiah, and he told his officers, Take me away, I am badly wounded. So they took him out of his chariot, put him in his other chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died. He was buried in the tombs of his ancestors, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah, and to this day all the male and female singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These became a tradition in Israel, and are written in the laments. The other events of Josiah's reign and his acts of devotion in accordance with what is written in the law of the Lord, all the events from beginning to end, are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 And the people of the land took Jehoahaz son of Josiah, and made him king in Jerusalem in place of his father. Jehoahaz was twenty-three years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. The king of Egypt dethroned him in Jerusalem and imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. The king of Egypt made Eliakim a brother of Jehoahaz, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Eliakim's brother Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for eleven years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple there. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did, and all that was found against him, are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiakin, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoiakin was eighteen years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months and ten days. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon together with articles of value from the temple of the Lord and he made Jehoiakim's uncle Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for eleven years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked, and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors, until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested, until the seventy years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus king of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with
0: them. God's eyes. The eyes of the Lord see everything you do, say, and think. We can escape from human eyes, but we cannot escape from the eyes of the Lord. The sad history of the people of God continues in today's passage. Human nature is unchanged. There were fights, battles, quarreling, attacks, and war. Josiah was succeeded by kings who did not follow his good example. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim his son, and Zedekiah, Jehoiakim's uncle. All did evils in the eyes of the Lord. Zedekiah's problem, like the others, was that he was stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord. Being stiff-necked is a powerful illustration of pride, refusing to bow the head before God. Hardening the heart is a description of how we can resist the Holy Spirit. God repeatedly sent warning messages to them. Out of compassion for both his people and his temple, he wanted to give them every chance possible, but they wouldn't listen. Like many people today, they poked fun at God's messengers, despised the message itself, and in general treated the prophets like idiots. Eventually, God handed them over to the great powers of that day, Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and Persia, modern-day Iran. The book of Chronicles ends with a slight note of hope. The passage for today includes a description of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 597 BC and the exile, but it ends with the hope of restoration and rebuilding, which began in 538 BC. This restoration pointed towards the greater hope of what was to happen through Jesus Christ our Lord. The ministry of the Old Covenant was to be far exceeded by the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Our hope is of a totally different order. Paul writes, since we have this hope, we are very bold. It's the hope of reflecting the Lord's glory and being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have, which is so much greater than anyone had ever thought or imagined. Thank you that I can gaze at the face of Jesus. Thank you that I can reflect the Lord's glory and be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Pepper adds, In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Without change, there is no growth.